Um, it's a delight to be with you today, and we are actually starting a new series called Multiply Hope. Um, before we do that, or to get into that, um, I notice it's the first Sunday in Advent. I don't know if you've got your Advent calendar sorted out yet. Somebody uh, sent us this poem on social media. I thought it was really brilliant, actually. It, you have to be a certain age to get it. But it says, pity the poor children of today with their calendars stuffed with chocolates, never to know the thrill of opening a small cardboard door and discovering behind it a picture of a bell. <laughs> oh, there's resonance in the room with that one. <laughs> I think we've all been there. Tried to explain that to my son. <laughs> Nothing. I did have a little look online to see what kind of advent calendars you might want to buy if you've got the money. Fortnum and Mason are doing a lovely sort of specialist chocolate one, only £145. Uh, or you could get their liqueurs and spirits one uh, for £170. It's reduced from £225 though, so that's okay. Um, I also looked, oh, you can get, if you're more into gin and tonic, you can get one of those. Seems to be a lot of drinking around advent going on. Um, or these are some of the, spe- I actually. I actually found a top 25 or top 30 advent calendars. Selfies, I like that. Gives you a little selfie kit to take a new picture of yourself every day. Or if you're into gardening, you can get a different sort of set of seeds every day. Is it the right time to be planting seeds? I'm not a gardener, but I don't, it doesn't feel like the right time. Um, oh, yeah, I love this one. Beard treats. That's a good one. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and a Doctor Who, one shaped like a TARDIS. Quite like that. Uh, with little Doctor Who trinkets in. Uh, I think that's all of the ones I could find. Um, Obviously, it's Advent, and we're beginning the countdown to Christmas. And as you can see, the Christmas season has all kinds of layers of meaning for everybody, different people. I think we've just seen most of it there, haven't we? Eating and drinking. Maybe it's gifts and celebration, or traditions, or family, or community. All of these, Christmas means all of these things and more to different ones of us. But as Christians, Advent is about renewing a sense of hope as we prepare to celebrate the coming of Jesus. Advent means coming. It means something is about to happen. It's where we get the word adventure from. It's the same root. And most people celebrate Advent, as you can see, by finding increasingly creative ways to count down through the horrendous weather and mad shopping and all of the rush of December um, until we get to Christmas Day. But you know, since the 12th century, Christians have been using this season of Advent to reflect on the coming of Jesus and in fact on three distinct comings of Jesus. Um, The first one is the coming of Jesus as a baby in Bethlehem, the Christmas story. We also reflect on the coming of Jesus to our hearts and to our lives, now and every day. And we reflect on and wait for the coming of Jesus in glory at the end of time. And I think if you wanted to sum all of this up in one word, I think the word hope captures it very well. Christmas reminds us of the hope of God, the hope that we have in God, a hope that looks beyond this current world and gives us a much bigger perspective. One of my favourite Christmas carols, we're going to be singing it next week, is O Little Town of Bethlehem. There's a line in that carol that says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. 
And so this month, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas, and please, by the way, please, 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 can I really encourage you, do take a load of these and invite people. This is the time in the year when people who don't normally go to church will think about coming to church because they're familiar with the story and they're familiar with the music, and we're going to make this really easy for them. And just to let you into a little secret, tons of people have booked into our five o'clock service, not that many by comparison yet into our eight o'clock service. So if you don't have young kids, ask your friends to come. Take them to the pub first if you want, and then bring them along to the carols or invite them around for a glass of wine at home or whatever it is you do. Make it easy and bring people along to celebrate with us. Um, There is no doubt that we live in a society which is in desperate need of hope. There's so much of our world that seems to just be in chaos and upheaval And there's a very real sense, I find this anyway, if I watch the news or listen to the news, that things are going out of control. And this gives rise to uncertainty and anxiety and stress and a search for meaning and answers. Only this week, news headline, King Charles is speaking to the um, COP28 climate summit. And what did he say? He said, as he addressed them all, he said, the hope of the world rests in you. That's a pretty strong statement. That's a pretty strong statement. And Paul's already mentioned our Talking Jesus survey and um, our Talking Jesus talk. It's based on a survey. I'm going to give you a sneak preview into just a couple of the slides. There's lots more to see, and I would really encourage you to come on Wednesday night if you can. Um, But this is a slide, I'm going to whiz past that one, that's just talking about people in the survey who are not believers, not active Christians, those outside the church. The question is, what questions are you asking? And here's the result. The result says 10% of non-believers are asking, is there a purpose to life? 17% are asking the question, what will make me happy? 15% are asking, what should I do with my life? 19% are asking, will everything be okay? That's what we've just been alluding to. 13%, what happens when you die? Only 2% is there a God. But look at those big questions. These are not random, unknown people who are just out there somewhere. These could be the people that we work with, that we study next to, that we live next door to or live down our street, the people that we meet in the playground or we play football with or we go to the pub with or we hang out with. They might even be the people in our own extended family. People are asking some serious and far-reaching questions about life. And I believe that as followers of Jesus, we are in a position to give some really great answers and to live as people of hope. If you want to find out more about the Talking Jesus thing, come on Wednesday night. Do sign up if you're coming, but it's free. So what is hope? Well, what... Sorry, I'll come to that in a sec. The, 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 the dictionary says that hope is a feeling of, a feeling of expectation and a desire for a particular thing, good thing, to happen. It's an optimistic state of mind based on the expectation of a positive outcome. That's what Wikipedia says anyway. We hope for good things to happen in the future. We hope we have enough time to do what we need to do. We hope the weather stays fine. We hope we stay healthy and well. We hope that our children do well and succeed. We hope that life goes all right for our friends and family. And usually... When we talk about hope, when we use the word hope, we're actually talking about a desire. This is what we want to happen. Often, we are dealing with uncertainty. Whether it's an employment issue, whether it's a relationship tension, 
a medical diagnosis, a feeling of anxiety, or a money concern. The truth is, nothing in this world is certain. But there is hope in God. And the Bible gives us loads and loads of reasons to say that there is a much greater depth of hope in God. And John Piper, who's a Bible teacher, said this. He said, biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It's a confident expectation and a desire for something good in the future. When the Bible says hope in God, it doesn't mean cross your fingers, guys. It means, to quote William Carey, expect great things from God. Expect great things from God. A confident expectation. If you've got a Bible, just turn up Psalm 42. Um, in fact, Psalm 42 and 43 are kind of two halves of the same song, I think. Sorry, I've got so many props up here. It's all taking up space. <coughs> Sorry, as you can hear, I've got a bit of a cough. Um, this is a quite a well-known psalm. It starts off with, As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you. I thirst for the living God. Day and night, I've only got tears for my food. My enemies are taunting me. My heart is breaking. I used to go in the church and walk among the crowds of worshippers and sing for joy, but now I'm really feeling down. And three times, twice in this psalm and once in the following psalm, the same refrain comes. And the refrain is this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why, so disturbed within me, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. If you read through the whole psalm, it's clear that the person writing this has a load of internal conflict going on. They are wrestling with circumstances to maintain a hope in God. So he, he, he says that refrain, he or she, I don't know who wrote it. Um, now I am deeply discouraged. I hear tumult of the raging seas. I'm just whizzing through. But each day the Lord pours his love for me. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why must I wander about in grief? I'm oppressed by my enemies and their taunts break my bones. And then again, why so, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And again, the same thing, Psalm 43 continues. Declare me innocent, defend me, rescue me. Why am I so wandering around in grief? Uh, help me, God, help me, God. Why? Am I so discouraged? Why are you downcast, my soul? Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And you can hear the internal tension as this songwriter says, look at my circumstances and then wrestles with the truth that he or she knows to be true, that God is in control and that he can, he, if, if we hope in God, it will overcome, it will help us to overcome all of the things that are going. I heard somebody say hope is, hope in God is a reservoir of um, emotional strength. A reservoir of emotional strength. And there's loads we could say about hope from the Bible. There's loads we could say about hope just from the Christmas story, actually. Even just around the Christmas story. But what I want to do for the rest of this morning is very briefly give us an overview of six things what the Bible, the Bible talks about that we can hope in. So when we say we have hope in God, we are sharing hope at Christmas. Christmas is a time of hope. Jesus brings hope. These are the things that I'm thinking about when I think about hope in God. And the first one is this. We have hope in the cross of Jesus. 
The Son of Man, John, John 3 says, must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. And then you know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There is hope in the cross of Jesus, the, the cross on which Jesus died. Now Jesus, when he said these words, was speaking prophetically about his death. And that death on the cross, it's a place of disturbing healing, Pete Gregg says, where the Son of Man is lifted up as the suffering Saviour who carries the sins of the world. You see, Jesus' death changed everything. It's the single most important event in history. 1 Corinthians, Paul says, to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ and his death on the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The cross is a central symbol to our faith. I, re I mentioned last week, didn't I, about this new cross that Charlie's made for us, which is brilliant. Now, we don't worship the cross. The cross is a symbol of what Jesus has done. I personally carry around, I don't carry it around all the time, I have a holding cross that I usually leave my, by my bed, but I sometimes carry around with me. And if I am struggling with something emotionally, if I am struggling to really sort of connect with God, one of the things that I do is I just hold the cross. And even if I can't say any words, I just know that by holding the cross, it's a symbol that I'm looking to God. That I'm going, I'm coming to the cross, I carry around this empty cross. Um, a friend of mine told me a story. She knows a young guy, he's just out of school, and she was chatting to him, and this young guy doesn't have any church or faith background whatsoever. And he wears a cross around his neck. It's a crucifix, it's a cross with Jesus on the cross. And he wears this symbol, and he said to my friend, I've got a question for you. Can you tell me, do you know who this guy is on the cross? My friend is a head of RE in a secondary school. Um, but what a question. How do you get to 20 years old or 19 years old and not have a clue who Jesus on the cross is? That's, that's an eye-opener, isn't it? When we hope in the cross, we have a confident expectation that the power demonstrated here holds more authority than any other single power or influence in the whole of our lives, be it past, present or future. And that is a reality, even if we don't feel that, even if we don't know it, even if it's not obvious to us, we hope in the cross of Jesus. I carry around an empty cross because I want to think about Jesus. Yes, what he did on the cross and also that he was resurrected. But do you know what? Any cross will do, <laughs> you know? How do we see the cross? How do we actually view this thing for ourselves, guys? How do we see it? Is this the place where Jesus is lifted up so that everyone who believes can have eternal life? Do we really believe that the power invested in this symbol, in this action, holds more authority than anything else? You see, we can hope in the cross of Jesus. Now, I said I've got six things, and following on from that, we hope in the forgiveness of our sins. Let me read this verse from Hebrews. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up through us, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. 
for he who promised is faithful. Excuse me a minute. (coughs) (coughs) The book of Hebrews was written for Jewish believers and in their culture for more than a thousand years, they have been coming into the presence of God by the mechanism of a bloody sacrifice and a line of priests. And here, this writer is saying to them, the sacrificial love of Jesus on the cross has literally torn open the veil between God and humanity and offered us a tremendous and incredible invitation to draw near because our sins are forgiven. Guys, this isn't wishful thinking. This, is, this isn't, fingers crossed, I hope I'm forgiven. That's not what this is. This is a confident expectation that our sins are forgiven. We hope in the, hope in the cross, we hope in forgiveness. We hope in our identity as children of God. One John, John chapter 1 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of a natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Now, each of, for each of us, our family history shapes our understanding of belonging and identity and love. And sometimes that's not an easy thing because you may not have had a particularly helpful family of origin. Maybe they didn't do love very well or emotional health or anything. But the truth is all of us, if we've called on the name of the Lord, are adopted into the family of God. We are transformed. We are a new creation. We have a brand new identity. Our identity is in Jesus. Even if our own family wasn't a healthy environment, when we come to Jesus, we are adopted in sons and daughters. We get the lot. Sons and daughters have access to resources. And sons and daughters have access to the physical presence of the father and mother. And when we adopt into Jesus, we have access to all of his resources and we have access to his presence. Romans 8, Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We'll come to that in a minute. So we hope in the cross. We hope in forgiveness. We hope in our identity as children of God. We hope in his strength. Isaiah says, Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He won't grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even the youths grow tired and weary and the young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Say that with me. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Go on, say it with a bit more conviction. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, walk and not be faint. Hallelujah. I'm praying for that. Um, Soaring birds are an image of majesty and strength, aren't they? And so despite our endless to-do lists and our scattered senses and our often drained energy, this passage speaks of the eternal hope in God that gives rise to a renewed energy and strength. Last week, we commented, we talked about how for many of us, this is a time of extreme challenge 
be it health, emotions, job, physical relationships. Some of us are sick and we need healing. And in the moments of vulnerability and insecurity, when we're unsure of what the future looks like, what's going to happen, this is when we can lean into the strength of God. Now, if you're in that place right now, then believe me, we just want to stand with you. There's an opportunity to be prayed for every week in church. And if you go to small group every week in small group, that's twice a week that people will stand with you and pray for you. And probably at other times if you ask them. But I also want to strongly encourage all of us to find ways ourselves to regularly connect with God so that we can put our hope in the Lord, wait on him and renew our strength. Now maybe that's by, um, you don't have to put your hand up. I'm so sorry the slide reference is wrong. That was me copying and pasting about half past 12 last night. It's Isaiah 40, not Romans 5. My bad. Um, Isaiah 40. Um, Thank you. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. Um, I would encourage us to regularly make space to connect with God. Make space for silence and solitude. There are some brilliant apps out there that will help us just kind of focus in and tune everything else out. Maybe play some worship music or read some truths from the Bible. You know, in a a week or two's time, we're going to give you a whole bunch of resources that we've got for those who want to sort of dig into the Bible sort of through 2024. Um, We'll tell you that in a bit, but one of them I'll just tell you about now because Joe read from this last year. We've kind of recently discovered this and um, it's it's called The New Testament Journey and it's a a book and it's also a podcast. Um, And if you want to look for it, Look on, look on podcasts for Croydon Vineyard. Um, and Tom Thompson, who's the pastor of Croydon Vineyard, um, wrote this book. It's just got um, a chapter. You do it five times a week. You read a chapter of the New Testament and then a brief sort of summary analysis and, and encouragement from him, pastoral encouragement. Um, if you missed it, you can play catch-up at the weekend. Um, and if you start in January and get to the end of December, you'll have gone right through the New Testament. Um, so that might be a resource that some people might want to dig into. Um, But whatever we do, however we use it, we can choose to intentionally take time to surrender to God, to to his goodness and his path for our life, and to ask for his strength. So we hope in the cross, we hope in forgiveness, we hope in our identity as children of God, we hope in his strength, and we find hope in suffering. Now Romans 5, which is the correct reference now, says, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now that's quite challenging. It's quite real. Our world is a place of many battles. Physical wars, relationship dramas, commercial and legal conflict, unexpected pain and misunderstanding, mental and physical health. Some days just feel like a constant uphill challenge. And yet... The simple truth of this passage says, I can have peace with God. I can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Because I've been given access by faith. I don't have to do anything myself. 
I just have to believe it and I have to stand in it. And now his grace is there for me. And suffering is inevitable. It's inevitable in this, in this world that we live, that we won't manage without it. It won't happen that we avoid it. But what Paul's saying here is that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope. And hope reminds us again that God's love has been poured into our hearts through his spirit. It's really hard to be thankful in times of real challenge, isn't it? It's hard when your brain and your emotional strength and your mental capacity is all taken up with just getting through whatever's going on. It's hard. And yet, this passage is suggesting that in suffering, that can become a doorway for the Spirit to enter our hearts and we can grow to be more like him and we can experience his peace. Remember, this isn't just wishful thinking. It's not just crossing our fingers. This is a confident expectation. So we have hope in the cross. We have hope in forgiveness. We have hope in our identity as children of God. We have hope in his strength. We find hope in suffering. And lastly, we extend hope through mission, compassion, and invitation. It's quite a long passage. I'm not going to read it all. But this, this quote from Isaiah, Jesus stands up in the synagogue in Nazareth and he gets up to read the scroll and he reads this verse from Isaiah, this passage from Isaiah. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor and proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And it says, then he rolled up the scroll and he sat down and everyone was watching him and he started by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the one who is going to start this. This is what my life's work and mission is about and all who follow me. You see, Jesus' priority was not to uphold the religious law or bless the righteous. It was to actively seek out those who have been overlooked and enslaved and marginalised and set them free. In a small way, that's what we were doing in the toy fair or trying to do, that Joe described earlier. Jesus was sharing hope, not for those in the synagogue but for the people who would never make it into the synagogue, they'd never even be invited. Now, we might think that our suffering and pain and trouble and brokenness, that in our own lives, disqualifies us from sharing Jesus because we're just too messed up. We haven't got it all together. But honestly, that's rubbish <laughs> because the truth is that people around us are also going through similar suffering, pain, trouble and brokenness. And most of them don't have the hope that we have. And so by authentically sharing our lives the way, and the way that God is with us in the trouble, that has an impact. That makes a difference. We have a hope worth sharing, whatever our circumstances. That's why, I'll say it one more time, I would love you to think about who to invite to the carol service next week. Sorry, am I going on too much about that? Um, that's why we have a family nativity experience. Because bring the people who you know have got little kids who like to stroke animals, and, and they'll hear the Christmas story and meet some nice people. I'm going to go back to that Talking Jesus uh, um, presentation. Here's just a couple of stats that came, and this is to do with 
conversations that people who are not believers have with believers. It says, has the, Christ, has the Christian that you know ever talked to you about their faith in Jesus? This is as a percentage of non-Christians who know a practicing Christian. And the answer is 55% have said yes. Um, 44% said, no, I know a Christian, but they've never talked to me about their faith. Have a look at this one. How confident are we? This is now a question among practicing Christians. How confident are we to talk to others? 75% of us believe that it's every Christian's responsibility to talk to non-Christians about Jesus. But 52% of us believe that other believers are better suited to do that than we are. Although 81% of us, hopefully, happily, helpfully, say, my church offers courses, events and services that I think are suitable for non-Christians to attend. This came out last year. This is nothing to do with me plugging the carol service, okay? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And then this one says, uh, continuing the same theme, 72% of us feel confident inviting non-Christians to suitable courses, events or services at our church. 43% of us don't feel that we know any non-Christians well enough to do that. And 42% of us feel that we don't know any non-Christians well enough to talk to them about Jesus. Now, we could do a whole talk just on that, which I'm not doing. That's, the, that's just a bit of a heads up on what's coming this week. But isn't it interesting? Because no matter how we are, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what's going on for us, you know, people are waiting for us to come and talk to them about Jesus. One in three non-Christians report that after a conversation with a Christian, they want to know more about Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? I find that really encouraging. Remember that quote I said at the beginning? John Piper said, Biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It's a confident expectation and a desire for something good in the future. And then remember this passage in Psalm 42. If this resonates with you, I really want to encourage you that this morning is an opportunity to allow the Spirit of God to fall afresh. Now for some of us, we need the Spirit of God to do that, to remind us just about the hope that we have in God. Maybe we're just not quite connecting with that. Maybe we feel like we need forgiveness. We need to know the power of the cross. Maybe we feel like we've forgotten our identity as children of God, adopted into the family, access to the Father. Maybe we just need strength. Or maybe we really are suffering and we need that peace that we know will lead us to perseverance and character. Wherever we're at, we need the Spirit to empower us. So why don't we stand? And I'm just going to read this prayer from Romans. You come up, guys. And then we're just going to wait on God and Paul and maybe Joe will help just to lead. We have a few minutes. We don't have to get our kids yet. There is an opportunity to receive. Romans, Paul says this in Romans, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why don't we just assume a receiving position and I'm going to pray that over us one more time. Winchester Vineyard Church, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope.
by the power of the Holy Spirit. We welcome your presence among us, Holy Spirit. We welcome you and we bless you. And we wait on you.